Revelation 17. We're going to be looking at the first five verses of the chapter, but before we get into that, I want us to look at the introduction. It's a bit lengthy, but it's important. When the rapture takes place, all born-again believers will be raptured from the earth by Christ. There will be multitudes of religious people, using the term loosely, left behind because they knew not the Lord. These will come together with Satan's help and create the apostate one world church or religious Babylon. They will begin to dominate the religious and political control over the world during the first three and a half years of the tribulation. As the second three and a half years begins, parentheses, known as the Great Tribulation, parentheses, John describes what the angel showed him. The references in this chapter to immorality is spiritual immorality or replacing Christ with man-made wicked religious practices and incorporating political ambitions into those religious practices. This one world religious system is not yet known but will become obvious once the church is raptured out of the world. Chapter 17 and 18 are detailed descriptions of religious and political Babylon as God destroys it. The events of chapter 17 precede by some degree the events of chapter 16. Now you have to think some of this through and probably occur at the beginning of the Great Tribulation, which is the second three and a half years of the seven-year tribulation period. Chapter 17 deals with religious Babylon's destruction. Chapter 18 deals with political Babylon's destruction. Verses 1 through 6 of chapter 17, God gives us John's vision, and in chapter 17, verse 17 through the end of the chapter, we get the interpretation of that vision. Now, just for clarity, you'll notice a couple of places where the phrase Great Tribulation is in the introduction with an asterisk. And here's the explanation it's called the Great Tribulation because of the intensity of the judgment of God and the all-out effort of Satan to overthrow God. It's not great because it's a wonderful, great experience. It's great because of the enormity of the intenseness of it. The judgment of God, Satan fighting back, it's going to be a very, very, very horrible time to live on the earth. So that's what we're coming into as we begin looking more into this chapter. We'll see more details. Now, as I said in the introduction, this seems to precede chapter 16. 
it's it's very it can get very confusing, and so you just have to wade through it and hope that you come out with the right understanding. But here's the beauty of all of this. If what I tell you is not correct, it won't change it. Okay? It's going to all turn out the way God planned it. And when we're sitting over on the sidelines watching this all unfold, then we'll better understand it. And you'll be able to say, you know, that pastor was right on, or boy, he really screwed that one up, didn't he? Okay? So with that introduction, let's look at these verses. Chapter 17. And there came one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials, and talked with me. Now this is one of those seven angels. It's not the one who had the seven vials because each one had a vial. Which one it is, we don't know. But one of them came and talked with him, saying unto me, Come hither, and I will show thee, show unto thee the judgment of the great whore that sitteth upon many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet-covered beast full of the names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet color and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, having a golden cup in her hand full of abominations and filthiness of her fornication. And upon her forehead was a name written, Mystery, comma, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and the abominations of the earth. And I saw the woman drunken with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I wandered with great and that's not a good word there, admiration. Not as we would think of it that way. We'll, we'll get to that in a moment. So we see in verse 1 and 2 the invitation by one of the angels with the bowls to view the judgment of Babylon, the great spiritual harlot. If you don't understand that what we have here is a spiritual situation, and we look at it strictly in the moral light, it can be very confusing and easily misunderstood. Because I'm going to tell you right now what we read here about the moral situation that's going on in chapter 17. It's happening in the world today. We just don't know how vile the moral situation is in the world and how horrific it is with the wickedness that's going on under the guise of having a good time or satisfying one's desires. I mean, one of the huge, and I won't spend time with this, but one of the huge outcomes of this kind of lifestyle that's affecting thousands and thousands of people around the world today is human trafficking. And that's what it's all about. 
selling and stealing human beings and giving them to the highest bidder for vile, wicked satisfaction. It's, it's just, it's sickening. But fortunately, we can look at it in a different light, which I believe is the correct light in that it's a spiritual matter. It's a spiritual thing. You'll read all through, look at the Old Testament, go back and read of God talking about Israel committing uh, immorality with the other nations. And it wasn't just physical immorality, it was spiritual immorality. They were worshiping other gods when they should have been worshiping the God of heaven and God called that a, a, a wickedness. Uh, he placed it in light of a moral thing. And so that seems to be what we have here. And so John is invited to see the judgment of Babylon, the great spiritual harlot. Now the woman, first of all, is described, point A, she's described as the great whore or harlot, meaning a notorious prostitute. There's an absolute agreement between religion and politics here in this, when this happens under the banner of unity. And we're going to see more and more of this matter of unity in religion and politics. And when we as believers are not willing to conform to the woke society and give in to their demands, we're going to be called divisive. We are not creating and encouraging unity in the world. And this is happening now. This is all part of Satan's plan to indoctrinate people more and more. But we can see how that's beginning and has been going on for a long time. You can trace this matter back of the one world church to back as early as the 1930s when it really began to spring up and people began to start promoting a one world church. And so we've had this down through time, but here it will be successful. And we see what it looks like to some degree. So this woman is given a, a, an amazingly wicked name. And there's absolute agreement here between religion and politics, as verse 2 tells us, with the kings of the earth, they've committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth have been made to drunk with the wine of her fornication. And we see this, this impact of the apostate one world church. And it's apostate. It has abandoned God and abandoned Christ and has created its own God and its own Christ. And so the impact of that is A, governments join in an alliance with it. And B, Christians become the object of its hatred and destruction. Let's jump down to verse 6. And I saw the woman drunken with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. So we can begin to see how this is beginning to unfold, especially in America. There is a continual dislike and it is growing for Christians, for Christianity. 
for those who believe the Bible and practice the Bible and, and tell others that they need to follow the guidelines of the Scripture. It, it's an ongoing thing. Now, that can be exciting or it can be scary. But the, what we want to look at it as, these, we are privileged to live in a time frame where we're beginning to see the end unfolding. We're beginning to see it becoming more and more real. And that lets us know the rapture is soon coming. And we can rejoice in that. I don't rejoice in the wickedness that's going on in the world. But I rejoice in the fact because I see these things beginning to unfold in the world. I know Christ is coming soon. And that gives us hope in this wicked world we live in. So this is the impact of the apostate church. And number two under B, 1B2, the picture here is of spiritual wickedness that goes absolutely contrary to the teachings of Scripture. Please remember this. It'll help you to better comprehend and understand this whole thing of the moral side of it. It's spiritual immorality. Verse 3 and 4, we see the woman on the beast. As I've already stated, this woman is the one world church system. She's sitting upon a scarlet colored beast, which is full of the names of blasphemy and has seven heads and ten horns. And that's in the last part of verse 3. This beast is likely the same one as found in chapter 13, Verse number one, it is a religious empire which has become the center of the world religion and government. It's Satan's empire. Two, the woman, which is the one world church, is supported by the political system of the world. Now, think about it for a minute. To get all the political systems of the world to come to agreement with a religious system. That's going to take some doing. And it's going to take some work and effort to get that to happen. It's just not going to happen overnight. But you can see a lot of things if you've looked at religion over the years. You can see a lot of things that come to play here. And I'll, I'll hint at just that in a, in a moment of what I'm talking about. But this is going to be a time where this one world church has the support and involvement of the political system of the world. There's not going to be the government of this country, the government of that country. It's going to be a one world government and a one world church. Third, the woman, the one world church, is in a dominant role of outwardly controlling religion and politics in the first half of the tribulation. Even though there's going to be a lot of nasty stuff going on in the first half of the tribulation, it's going to be what's called the peaceful side of the tribulation. Because you're going to have this false religion running, controlling things, and it's going to create a unified world. Now, there's going to be upheaval here. There's going to be some Christians over there that had to be killed, you know. 
There's going to be some people over here that won't, won't take the mark of the beast, so we've got to do something about them. They're causing trouble. It's all going to, it's, it's all going to happen, but for the most part, it's going to be a more peaceful time. When we get to the second half of the tribulation, that is going to go out the window. So what we have here is this one world church is generating what we would consider a false peace and politics and religion are happily, well, they're married. I don't know how happily they're going to be married, but they are joined together in the first half. Now, what we look at the description, the woman was arrayed, verse four, in purple and scarlet color and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls. When you look at this, the cup of the outward appearance is close to those items which describe the imagery of God in the scripture. Royalty, the color of the scarlet, the gold, the precious stones, the pearls, all of these are associated with God. And if this is a religious movement, then it has to have a godly appearance. And this is how she is arrayed and how she is decked out. The cup, point D, in her hand seems to represent the ungodly practices in the one world church. And they will engage under the guise of Christianity. Notice she has a cup in her hand full of abominations and filthiness of her fornication. Or everybody has to be participating in whatever this one world church is doing. And if they don't participate, they're, they're slaughtered, they're killed. Or they have to run and hide where they can't be seen ultimately ending in death because they can't survive that way. So this one world church and all of its practices and all of its glamour and all of its array is for the whole purpose of creating a religion of its own, of its own creating and its own guidelines that is anti-God, it's anti-Bible. You see that it's described here, this cup is full of abominations. What it means, it's detestable and it's emitting a rotten, a foul, rotten odor. So what this cup has that this woman is holding is full of abomination and filthiness. And it's nasty as God sees it. As the world sees it, man, it's the way it's supposed to be. And I'm going to tell you what's going on in religion in the world today is nasty in the sight of God. It's abominable. The things that happen in Greenville County under the guise of religion, they're, they're abomination in the sight of God. They're foul. They have this rotten stench to them and God detests them. So again, these are not things that are going to happen way down the road. They're happening now. And then it says the description of filthiness of her fornication. There's nothing pure about the practices of the one world church. Now, I don't know if you caught on to any of this, but there are many commentators who believe that this is a reference to the papal system of the Roman Catholic Church. 
Whether or not it's true, time will tell. You can see, if you know anything about the Roman Catholic Church, how this could easily play out. Because the things that the Roman Catholic Church hold to as truth are abomination. Today, they're an abomination. I used to think that the Roman Catholic Church would be the one world church. I don't know that I would hold to that so strongly today. With the growth that we see happening with Islam, I don't know. God knows and he'll take care of it. I'm not worried about it and I'm not going to lose any sleep over who this one world church is. If it's a religious order we know now or one that will be coming into existence. Accumulation of all the religions, false religions, I don't know. But there are many, if you read, especially the older commentators, you will find that they refer this to the papal system of the Roman Catholic Church. And you can see that. You can see that. I, I, I could spend a lot of time there, but I'm, I'm going to move on. Point number three, we see the name of the woman is given in verse five. And upon her forehead was a name written, mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. A better reading of this would be, point one, three, a one. A better reading is a name, a mystery, colon, Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes and detestable things of the earth. It's not, the mystery here is not that this Babylon the Great is a mystery. It's, the name is a mystery. The name is a mystery. The mystery is in how far the one world church will go in creating a religious political system. Now, something about Babylon. The original Babylon is an object of religious and political prominence throughout the scripture. For example, Genesis 10, Babel, was founded by Nimrod and later was named Babylon. Also, the Tower of Babel was there, which God said nothing good about and stopped its being built. There's more to what we read in the scripture about the Tower of Babel than what the Bible actually tells us. I mean, these people were building a tower that they intended to go into heaven with it. Well, I mean, we've got cell towers around here that are several hundred feet tall. I mean, what's so? It, no, there's something else there. Because God saw that that needed to be addressed, and that's when He gave us all the different national languages and spread the people throughout the world. Because God said, This is not a good thing, and if they aren't stopped, they'll succeed. I don't understand all of that. But it wasn't a good thing. And that's associated with Babylon. Then we go on. In the Bible, Babylon in Scripture is the name for a great system of religious error. In the Old Testament, it plagued Israel. And in the New Testament, it plagued the church. Today, religiously, it is leading the world into apostasy and confusion. 
Now, you have to look at it. Remember now what it is. It is the mentality and the effort of Satan working through apostate religious leaders to create a one world church where everybody there is a part of it by choice, by choice. You can see this in how it could play out in state churches where countries have what they call state churches. And it is the predominant church of that country. And most everybody can trace their ancestry in that country back to that church. But those churches are not godly. They're anything but. But boy, they are elaborate and they're ornate and they're expensive. But this is the concept that we want to see here and understand. This is a one world religious movement that everybody that is unsaved is going to be a part of by choice. And this is, as I said, this movement really came out of the closet using modern day terms back in the 30s, in the 1930s. Got to correct that because we're getting almost to the 2030s, aren't we? The 1930s, we're going way back where prominent apostates began to push for a one world religion. And out of that became came huge world movements of religious organizations. Most of your apostate American denominations are a part of that. The National Presbyterian Movement, the Methodist Movement, they're all part of that. So it's not something new, it's something that's been there all along, it's just going to be developed when the church is raptured out and the Holy Spirit's gone. The Holy Spirit goes with the church, by the way. And then Satan has free course, boy, he's going to work hard trying to create this religion under the guise that he thinks he's going to overthrow God. So this is what she's called. She is, it's a mystery who she is, but in reality, when you know some of church history and you read some of these things, it is not such a great mystery. It doesn't leave you off guard, but it's called Babylon because of the connotation there. Point number four, we see the object of the woman's hatred. Verse six, and I saw the woman drunken with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. She's intoxicated with the blood of the saints and the martyrs of Jesus. She's drunken. She's fully consumed with it and by it. I mean, this is her reason for living. This is how this one world church has its fun, has its excitement. It just can't live without it. It has to have it. This shows you the kind of hatred that this one world religion is going to have for the Christians. It is so full of this hatred 
that the destruction of Christians is a major role of this one world religious church and political system. Probably the major role. Because if you're in the church and you're a part of it, you know, you're not going to cause problems because if you do, either the church or the political system is going to take care of you. So you just conform under the guise of unity. You know, you become docile and do whatever they tell you and whatever they say is truth. You accept it as truth. Just like what's happening with the unsaved today. But if you are a, a Jesus follower, you're a marked individual and they delight in killing you. Then we see John has a reaction, point B. When I saw her, I wandered with great admiration. Or a better reading, and when I saw her, I was greatly astonished. Now think about this for a moment. John sees this. What all has John seen up to this point? I mean, the first 16 chapters that John has shown us, the devastation that he's seen, the loss of life that he's seen, the, the destruction of earth that he's seen, the destruction of water that he's seen. I mean, this guy has seen some horrible stuff. And he comes to this point here and he says, when I saw this, I was absolutely astonished at what I saw. Letting us know this is far beyond their comprehension. It's far more than, than I have the capability of explaining to you. What we see John had witnessed many horrible things thus far in his vision, yet what he witnesses now is absolutely shocking. Why? Because Satan's time is short. And if he's going to destroy God, he's going to have to destroy the Christians, the army of God. And John is just absolutely shocked by this. We have here the hatred of Satan for Christianity will be demonstrated under the banner of religion. And it's going to be horrific. I look at this and I think, how can religion get so far off base? And it happens one small step at a time doesn't happen overnight. It happens as Christians stop following the word of God in their own personal life and they allow the church to stop preaching the word of God a little at a time. We can have wonderful worship time here and rejoice in who our God is through singing through testimonies, through fellowship. These are all wonderful things and they, we have to have them to have a, a complete service. But when it comes time and you have a man stand behind this desk to open up this book, you better hold his feet to the fire. And you better make sure that he's preaching God's word correctly and not his opinion. Because if you don't, you're opening the door for Satan to creep in and ultimately to destroy a ministry.
But when you open the Bible and you preach from the Bible and you have the Bible in your lap and you're looking at it and you're reading it and you're looking at the notes and you're carrying these notes home to do whatever you want with them, if you want to look them up and follow through even more, you have something here that can be official. This is what God's word says. It's not just what the preacher thinks. But it's what the word of God teaches us. And when we keep it that way, we're going to be disliked by more and more in the world. But we're going to be loved more and more by God. And the people of God. Now God always keeps somebody in behind this desk that preaches truth accurately and honestly. Lord, I pray today that you'd help Bible Baptist Church to always be a light of the gospel in this dark world we live in. We live in a state that is conservative, at least for the most part. At least we call ourselves conservative. Compared to many other states, we are quite conservative. And so we don't have as much hatred for Christianity as there are in other places in America. But yet, Lord, we must maintain a truth here coming directly from the Word of God, being spoken in every service, in every meeting, in every Sunday school class, in every youth activity, in every fellowship, that truth is always adhered to. We cannot do that on our own. We must have you to lead us and guide us and to keep us on track. May we not just assume that the Bible will always be preached directly from this pulpit. But may we make that a matter of prayer every week. May we make it a matter of prayer for the future as well. That whoever stands behind this desk, missionary, evangelist, guest speaker, whatever, will always proclaim truth. So God, we look to you, we trust you. We know that when we humble ourselves and follow you and ask for your leading, that you'll always be there. And you'll protect us. And you'll guide us in the right path. And you'll lead us in a way that glorifies yourself and enables us to stand true to the word. God, how religion can get so far away from you is mind-boggling, to say the least. And what we have even seen happen here in Greenville County this year under the guise of religion it's, it's just sickening. And at the same time, it's, it's an awakening thought. But I pray that we will not back down from holding to the truth and always be willing and ready to share the truth of the gospel with those who need to hear it. So help us, Lord. Some of us may be having 
things happen in our relationships with others because we have chosen to be true to the word. We may not be liked for that. We may be criticized. Things may be said about us falsely. But just help us to remain faithful. And remember that they didn't like Jesus. So why would we expect them to like us? So God, we need you in this day in which we live. It's an exciting time to see the Bible being unfolded before our very eyes. But it's a time where we really, really need you. More than maybe we understand. So may we seek you all the time in everything. Protect us as we go our separate ways this afternoon. And help us to be faithful till Jesus comes or you call us home. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.